Warriors, Kwe Tanse Sego Anibuju, Kwe Nindeluizi Pam Palmeter, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. But it's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over our sovereign territories. We have grassroots warriors all over Turtle Island doing just that, defending our lands, protecting our waters, and always advocating for our peoples. And today we're so lucky to have with us two land defenders who are talking to us from Six Nations Territory at 1492 Land Back Lane, Skylar uh, Skylar Williams and Micah Burning. Welcome to the show, Skylar and Micah. Uh, thank you for having us. Hello. Awesome. Well, I'm wondering if you could each introduce uh, yourselves a little bit about your background and where you're from. I'm Skyler, I'm Skyler Williams. I'm from Six Nations, uh, Mohawk Wolf. And uh, yeah, we've been camped out here at 1492 for 22 days now. Wow. And Micah? Uh, this is Micah. I'm an Onondaga deer. I'm from Six Nations as well. Um, I'm the finance lady. <laughs> <laughs> Who has the burden of managing very little finances, I'm sure. <laughs> well, can you, you know, just assume that the people who are listening or watching don't have any background. Can you tell us where you're, uh, where you are, what's happening and what's the core issue? Um, so yeah, it's development on the doorstep of our community. Um, unseated uh like the land that the this particular development is unceded territory it's dire- directly across the road from the former douglas creek estates that was kind of the flashpoint of uh 2006 when uh, we reclaimed that land and so this particular one um is uh 1400 houses uh stretching about three kilometers long about a kilometer wide across uh what what we call the haldeman it's the haldeman deed was the um, the um, what am I, uh, the Haldeman deed is the was what was granted the Six Nations community uh, after the uh, Revolutionary War mm-hmm. British and so when we came when development rolls up on the doorstep of our community it's uh, it's our obligation we'll stand for that and to uh, uh, defend that with our everything that we can. And from what I understand about the Haldeman track, it's actually a huge piece of territory. We're not just talking about the lands where you're at. Is that right? That's right. It's uh, six miles on either side of the Grand River uh, the, from the mouth to the source. So the source is uh, just west of Toronto in the north, all the way to Port Maitland, which is near Fort Erie in the south. So it's a huge piece of land. And the other thing I und- that I've heard from um, different uh, Haudenosaunee people is that it's never been surrendered. That's correct. So there's never been a, a community meeting or a vote or an agreement to say, we don't want the Haldeman track anymore. No, no, that's not happened. Yeah, not at all. So then, you know. It, it brings to mind when the premier is saying, you know, property rights 
are so important that in fact it's your property rights that are, that are being at risk here absolutely and i think we've been saying that is that the that our property rights and the the value of the uh the connection that we have to the land is is needs to be taken into account and when it comes to injunctions i think they're used as a colonial tool to be able to push the ongoing people off of their territory yeah I you have to look at it like in the context of like bank council versus like traditional council too right so um i think what like the courts and the the federal government and provincial government rely on are like sort of like deals that are made through like bank council and like the federal government when it comes to like leasing of land selling of lands but i mean realistically we we've, we've always had a functioning traditional council so they are the uh, they're the ones that have the actual authority over land so like i know i know they like to cite the deals that have been made through bank council and whatever but i mean like as indigenous people we know that that's a fraudulent way to go about it right so like i couldn't I couldn't go over to Skylar's house and like say, "Oh, this is my house," and try and sell it on him. It's sort of like the same thing, you know. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, it, like just to actually say, "How would you like it if I walked into your house and just sold your house?" And but I consulted with you a little bit first. I mean, people laugh at that because that would just never, ever happen to well, anyone. But us. Just said that that something there. If she would have came in and consulted with me about it, then we might be able to work something out. But uh, I mean, they didn't come and consult with but us. But they did. I mean, well, and they—that's not true. So they have—they have their. They—they <laughs> they think they consulted, right? So they have like, like I mean, realistically, again, you have to look at the different, the different layers of like this whole cog that is like land and whatever. Mm -hmm. So like, realistically, they only have like elected council only has 4% voter turnout. So that's not reflective, even like within the system that it is itself, like 4% is not nearly representative of like a, like a 28,000 community, you know what I mean? Like that's mm -hmm. like a small handful of people. So like the people that even support like them or are having their voice carried through that, that collective that is saying council is like very insignificant. And then when you look at the numbers, of like these like consultation meetings they have like when it's under 100 people that are even coming to these consultation meetings um like that's even less of a number that you're going on to like move forward so like i mean i don't know anybody who would think like 80 people out of 2800 is like an appropriate amount of consultation like okay we've talked to you and we're going to make a decision based on this so i mean well, there's different layers to like all of these things and it, and it seems like the media gets really hung up on this word consultation like so long as someone talked to you at some time and it doesn't matter who it could be five people it could be 500 that that's enough when in fact the legal standard is free prior and informed consent so there's a there's a core difference between consulting, providing information, asking your opinion versus getting the consent of all of the people. And what I understand from your letter and some of the uh, things I've heard you say is that there's been no nationwide consent of the people. 
And I think that's what I was getting at when I when I said that there was no no consent or consultation, yeah. meaningful consultation. Yeah. So when it, and and for me and for most, it's like we're not going up to non-native folks that have houses along the river and handing out eviction notices. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, protecting the the bit of land at the doorstep of our community. Um, there needs to be a process that doesn't take 50 years in order to go through a land claims process. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think um, Six Nations has been at it now for almost 30 years with with no end in sight. And so the the idea that we're going to sit back and let uh, development roll up on the doorstep of our community, which, you know, like Six Nations has done nothing but get smaller over the last hundred years where we have seen all of these communities surrounding us hem us into this uh, postage stamp in southern Ontario. Yeah, well, and one of the one of the other things which you know you just triggered when you were talking about this about your land getting smaller is this other concept in law around you know protecting what's known as third party interests or third party rights so if land transfers to another party even if it was done wrongly then what you're looking at is not getting the land back but at best some money so but if you weren't proactively acting to defend your territory now before it goes to third parties, then it it makes it harder for you. And um, I guess one of my other questions, I know previously when I talked to um, people from Six Nations before during Caledonia, they were saying, we don't want money. We actually want our land because land is what sustains you and keeps you forever. And is that the kind of same sentiment at Land Back Lane today? Yes. Yeah, yep. absolutely. We just want the land. Absolutely. There's not there's like there's no price tag that you can put on the land here. Like our connection to the land is 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 everything, right? And so mm-hmm. yeah, the the there's no dollar figure that could uh, uh replace it. Yeah. And I think just like at the crux of it too, it's very inequitable that settlers are like continuously able to like acquire more land, make more housing and like indigenous people are stuck on like wherever their reserve is that's their reserve and that's it no matter what happens to their population how much it grows it doesn't grow with them right so it's, it's very inequitable to expect indigenous people to just consistently forever be on a small piece of land and not be able to expand our borders to accommodate like the people in our community or like any kind of growth right so i think that's one of that's one of the things too is like we need to be able to look at our traditional territories and say, hey, you know what? We need to grow too. This is where we're going to be too. So, And so like, there's things like the additions to reserve uh, process, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. Um, Six Nations itself has been uh, trying and lobbying to get uh, uh, some more land uh, put onto the, onto the reserve, uh, Six Nations <laughs> Reserve number 40. You know, and trying to to add land to that for at least forty years, and and, and nothing, and to and, and to no avail, and so now that you know these uh, communities are pushing right up to the doorstep of waters, it's uh, it's I feel like it's our obligation mm-hmm. to try and bring our community together to be able to have a collective voice, to be able to say no to development, 
and here we are. Yeah. Well, even when you look at that, so if you can like acquiesce to say that bank council sort of has the authority, quote unquote, to make like land decisions for reserve number 40, um, any of like the lands that are encompassed in the Haldeman tract itself outside of uh, reserve 40 really, again, falls under the jurisdiction of the Confederacy chiefs. Mm -hmm. When you're looking specifically at this now, again, like it's like, they've overstepped their boundaries by trying to make these deals and, you know, like whatever they're doing with the developers. Again, that should have fallen back to the Confederacy chiefs to decide what's going on with this land. Um, so again, just like one of the many layers of things you need to look at with this, right? And, you know, I'm glad you brought up the ATR process. So for people who don't know what that is, it's the addition to reserve process that Indian Affairs or whatever they're called now, uses to add small pieces of land to a reserve because only the federal, Her Majesty the Queen in right of Canada um, claims the legal authority to do that. It's a very um, complicated process, which they overcomplicate. Um, and in some cases they just delay, 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 and it takes years. Um, part of the problem is that the additions to reserve process is offered as an alternative. So here, sell your lands, your land claim lands for a hundred million, and you can use that money to buy lands to add to your reserve later. Well, part of the problem is good luck ever finding lands anywhere contiguous or near your First Nation. <laughs> and then you know, secondly, the prices are inflated when they know that it's a First Nation that's buying lands. And thirdly, you have all of these like municipalities and other groups that try to veto additions to reserves because they don't want to lose what they consider their tax base. So if you look like nationwide, the additions to reserve process is not really a viable alternative for actually having your land back. It's it's off it, it really is a distraction meant to make people think that you don't have to worry about this land claim here just take some money and we'll go through atrs but like you said it seems like it's not very effective in six nations i think and like fourthly when you look at the whole like additions to reserve lands like reserves are like under the jurisdiction of the federal government anyway so essentially they're just like giving the land back to themselves you know like <laughs> circumvent the whole like Here's your land because you know what I mean. Like under the Indian Act, it's very like specific provisions on reserves and like how that works. So essentially, they're like, here, how about you just uh, let us give the land, you know, officially to ourselves? It's like they're like sidewinding us into like officially saying that it's in their books like federal land, right? As reserves are. So like it just to me, it does not make sense. But <laughs> and so right now, like. Uh... Six Nations Elected Council owns uh, bits of property uh, just off the reserve uh, that they've been trying to for ever to try and get uh, uh, added onto the reserve. And so one of those properties was kind of the deal that they made here was that they were going to get some land back just off the reserve. And it was 42 acres or something just off the reserve for these 1,400 houses that are going in here. Um, and so now we're going to pay property tax on that for the foreseeable future until, um, you know, the Wizard of Oz comes and, you know, it's not, it's, it's something that is not going to happen. And I think most of us understand that that additions to reserve process that 
need, uh, that sees uh, the municipality that it's sitting in have veto power over, like they're never going to agree to that shrinking tax base. Well, and I think what's really, what, what people need to remember, and the media especially, is that this isn't news. You didn't just 22 days ago go to Land Back Lane and say, oh, newsflash, we're claiming this territory, and no one had any idea that this Haldeman track issue has been, everybody knows that it's an issue. Everyone knows that it's, you know, claimed territory from the federal government, provincial government, the local uh, people. I mean, it was the source of part of the issue with um, the protests in Caledonia, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that was something I was also involved with there that, uh, yeah, I was involved in that uh, 14 and a half years ago now. And so that's uh, many of us jailed uh, myself for almost seven months. Like it was, it was um, uh, quite the thing. And like the, at the end of those seven months, all my charges were dropped and I was released from jail. And so it's uh, when you criminalize Ungohoi mm. people for uh, living up to their obligation to the land, that our law, that's been our law, mm -hmm. the great law in here for like 1,200 years at the most conservative estimate uh, that sees our, our democracy with, uh, with laws that's, that set out exactly what our obligations are to the land. And they've never been extinguished. There's, right. there's, no, there's no agreement or document or anything that says we give up our sovereignty and we give up all of our laws and we're just done being a nation and we're done being you know, independent free peoples and we give up all of our lands. I think that's the thing that bugs me the most is uh, Justin Trudeau talking about nation to nation relationships and how important these are to him and uh, the very paternalistic kind of uh, view on uh, our people uh, to, to try and control and to uh, say to us where and how it's supposed to happen. And so for us, like the, the ongoing development is, is, is ridiculous especially in the face of claimed land. So, I mean, I hate the fact that it's even called a land claim because it's, it's your land. Canada should be trying to claim it from you, in fact. But just for ease of reference in terms of, you know, the land claim, everyone knows that it's claimed land. And even if you only look at Indian Act procedures or federal government procedures, there's no possible way that they could have made a settlement on this land claim without a referendum to all of the people, which laid out all of the particulars of the land claim, which said what would be the, and to my, to my knowledge, I'm not aware that there has been a land claim settlement and a referendum for any part of it. No, there has not. And I think, I think people get, uh, it confused when people talk about uh, land claims and what that means because like land claims actually has nothing to do with land like we're not going to court to get our land back we're going to get go to court to get money back and like and I think that's what one thing that our our community anyway has been screaming from the what well, you know what every community has been screaming from the outset of any of this stuff is that you know we need to be able to, to, to live and grow and thrive uh, just like every other community. And to sit here and say that, like, welcome, uh, Caledonia can grow right up to the doorstep to, to hem us in, 
as a as a community, that means that we won't be able to go, and that additions to reserve policy or process uh, isn't going to work in any kind of way. Exactly. And I'm wondering what you think about like other nations across the country have for decades called on the federal and provincial governments to have a moratorium on any land sales or land transfers until all the land claims are resolved. Because if, if you continue to buy and sell and, and, you know, mine them and timber them and develop them, then they'll all be transferred to third party interests and there'll be nothing left for the land claim but the money. So they kind of structure it so you don't, there's no possible way to get land. So First Nations, different nations across the country have said there should be a moratorium. Like in, in your territory on the Haldeman track, you know, because there is a live claim, there should be no development or sales or anything until that claim has been justly resolved. However, Six Nations chooses. No, that, and, that, and I think that's something that we've been screaming from the rooftops for for the last 50 years at least and so when the the haldeman track being what it is because there are major cities up and down the grand river from you know kitchener cambridge Brantford, port maitland dunville like caledonia like there are major cities all along uh like southern ontario like that encompasses a huge tract of land right down the center of southern ontario and when a quarter of the country lives in southern ontario the encroachment and the the, the value of that property is it, it, like the the numbers are are mind-boggling to, to think of how much that land is worth because that's the thing is trying to put a number on uh on a tract of land that is that vast in the middle of the most uh, uh populated area in the country it, it, it's crazy to think how much money we're, like, we're actually talking about. It is. And, you know, the United Nations, they have a whole bunch of different human rights treaty bodies. So for all those listeners uh, who aren't familiar with that, the United Nations has often intervened and urged Canada to address all of these outstanding land issues, all of the failure to implement treaty rights. But one of the most recent things they did, the UN Committee for the um, Elimination of Racial Discrimination, because they consider it racial discrimination when you don't address Indigenous rights. In December, they called on Canada to stop all development of Indigenous lands until they had free prior and informed consent. And they didn't just say that on their own. In fact, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples specifically recognizes, it doesn't grant, but it recognizes that in international law, which applies to all countries in the world, that you have the right to your traditional territories and any other land holdings that you're entitled to. And you're entitled to govern them in your own way, according to your own laws. And nothing can happen without free, prior, and informed consent. So that's the state of the law. It's not consultation. It's consent. So, and that's the other thing is like to be able to have veto power over our lands. Like if we don't want it, we are allowed to say no. Yes. This is what no looks like. When we talk about uh, that development and whether or not, like, I don't care which family or faction you come from in this in, in our community, uh, whether you're a band counselor or uh, 
or vote in that system by a Confederacy person, like it doesn't matter. Like the everybody, everybody, that common thread for everybody is that we as a people need to be able to grow and thrive and have uh, have space to be able to do that. And so uh, the government, the, the police um, have looked for cracks in, in our community to be able to drive wedges between us. And that's the same in every community. Yeah. And, and so now as a, as a community to be able to stand up and say no and uh, give a united, give a united voice to, uh, sorry, something just happened. That's okay. <laughs> give, a united, give a united voice to uh, our community that's been saying no development on our lands for the last ever. And so now that we're in this position to have uh, once again had to, you know, put our bodies on the line in front of the police, uh, it, it's about making sure that our community uh, is heard when they say that no, there's not going to be development, certainly not, on the, on the doorstep of our community. I mean, understanding full well that like the Haldeman track is very vast. And, you know, we're not, we were, like I said before, we're never wanted to go and give eviction notices to white people that lived along the track. It's about understanding that we need a place to be able to grow and thrive. And they seem to put you, like, when I say they, I mean, you know, governments at all levels seem to put us in an impossible situation. So they say, you know, if you defend your land, if you assert your power over your territory, then you're a criminal and they will come and arrest you and, and put you in jail and, you know, impact us that way. However, according to their law, if you don't assert your territory and you don't try to defend it, then you can't make claims to title over that territory. So you can't, you can't win. Under their laws, you have to do it. Under probably uh, Haudenosaunee laws, it's uh, a requirement to defend your territory, but Canada makes sure to criminalize it so that it always looks like it's a, a band of criminals um, posing danger to society as opposed to really just defending lands. Yeah, and I mean, I, 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 and I've had this conversation before about like uh, with uh, the police here and uh, uh, talking with with uh, community members in the area is it, it's like you know we're not going into russia to try and build houses <laughs> that would be very difficult to do yeah. but it's it, it's easy to beat up on indians so here we are and so you roll up on our doorstep and expect us to lay down for it so what are some of the things that people can do to support you whether they're native or non-native i mean I see on your letter that if people need to contact you, it's landbacksixnations at gmail.com and that there's updates posted on 1492 Land Back Lane on Facebook. Um, but I understand that you also posted a template letter on Google Docs. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Uh, so that letter is specifically for allies. So to be able to engage with like their MPs, federal government. So it's just sort of, you know, like we're trying to make it easier for allies to help us out. Right. So yeah, it's just a template. You plunk your stuff in and then you can send us off and support that way. Um, 
in regards to the support, like, you know, like bodies on the ground is mm -hmm. always so, um, I don't know. It's pretty, I don't know. We, we like to think we're pretty rad to hang out with, you know what I mean? <laughs> Fire telling stories, eating food, you know what I mean? Like, like keeping in mind that there is, it, there is an injunction and there is always that element of risk. Um, but yeah, we, we welcome anybody to come and hang out, talk to us, you know, get more information. Um, we do have like the PayPal, the GoFundMe and other things if you want to support monetarily. Um, even just like dropping off like supplies like wood and food, that kind of stuff is always appreciated. Even just like sharing our posts, sharing the page, sharing information, you know, that's always beneficial too. So, I mean, there's many, many ways that people can support in their, their different capacities, you know what I mean? And so every day for the last 22 days, I'll, uh, I, I post a, an update, a, a land back, land back, what a day, whatever day it is that day. And put the land back update and uh, deep I thoughts said, by skylar williams <laughs> <laughs> well that's good and the most recent thing i've seen um is that you've requested a meeting with several federal ministers what is it that you're hoping to get what can federal and provincial governments do right now to address this issue I think initially uh, what they can recognize is that sort of maybe HCCC is the traditional government and sort of these agreements that they rely on in court are like fraudulent agreements and they need to come back to the table and um, really look at um, how they've made these deals and how it's like essentially it's fraud, right? They don't have like, they have no right to be making deals with somebody that has doesn't have the authority to make these deals. So they need to come back to the table and all of this land and all of these agreements need to be reassessed and they need to acknowledge that it is still Haudenosaunee territory. And that's the thing is trying to remember even with the HCCC stuff and the uh, band council stuff, like there's still a, a, a huge uh, bit of our community that feels unrepresented by both mm -hmm. and so to what I like I'm no great philosopher to say like I know what it looks like to get 27,000 people all the to to the table uh, I, I don't know what that process is going to look like but what I do know is the process that's there now is not working for 98% of our community mm -hmm. and so if we can figure like uh, be given the space and time that we need to to heal and grow as a community from the you know the last 200 years of, of those being those wedges being driven in our community uh, we need that space to be able to do that and so if that takes the next hundred years then that's what it's gonna have to take because those people that have had those uh, been the victims of the uh, government uh, moving in on our community mm -hmm. and and using one or two or ten people or this family or that family and pitting them against each other has made such a divide in in not just our community but every community and so to be able to say like we need the time and space to be able to uh, grow and heal and do the things that we need to do to uh, be able to come with a collective voice when we say yes or no and so if we need to stand on the land for our land and uh, like honor that connection to the land. And this is what we have to do.
Yeah, and I think so. Like as you were talking about earlier, where uh, nations call out for those moratoriums, so that's where like mechanisms like that come in place because then it does give us the time to mm -hmm. sort of, you know, fix those past traumas, like, um, you know, reinstate our clan systems, you know, all of those kinds of things. Like if it took like this amount of years for us to get in sort of this state of like disarray, it's gonna take equally at least that amount of time to like correct all those all those um long-term things that have occurred from colonization right so like yeah so again the moratorium just gives us the space and the time and the capacity to be able to start correcting those things within our communities right yeah and i think it's what i really like about what you're saying and and especially the way that you've worded this letter is really letting the public know this isn't a handful of people claiming something for themselves and or and this isn't a handful of people claiming land for only a particular group in six nations that really this is the land of the people and it's for all the people and it never it doesn't matter what your background is or your political views or where you come from or where you live but in fact it's for everybody's benefit and it sounds to me like you just want the government to come to the table and negotiate in a good faith way in a way that makes sure that the people's voice is heard however that's going to look like yeah and i think so we do get that that question asked all the time like and what are you going to do with the land like whose land is it going to be you know those kinds of questions right and we and i think we're, we consistently say that like it doesn't even matter it doesn't even matter like our our focus or our goal right now is just to have the land for us mm -hmm. like to make sure that it doesn't go to anybody but six nations people i mean and the so who the who's and the what's about it like that's going to be a long long conversation many conversations <laughs> after this but i mean but that's again like longer term goals we'll deal with it when it gets yeah. to that point but right now we just need to secure this land and make sure that it stays ours so and so for for the foreseeable future here anyways at least our intention as long as i'm as long as i'm still upright is that our people are going to be here and so like right now today we're uh building and growing our community here planting uh making sure that the, the because the all the topsoil and everything that was kind of good and rich about this particular area has all been stripped free mm. and you can see the deer and the foxes come up to the edge of the property like every morning like it's, yeah. a, it's and so it's um it's really nice to be able to see that and understand that like even if our community can't make a decision on what to what's to do with this land here and mother nature takes it back over and the topsoil regrows and you know trees and the wildlife come back like like that's a win for us like that's a win for us and maybe you know my my kids or grandkids maybe they'll they'll get it figured out on what what to do with this particular tract of land but the thing is is if you let 1400 homes be built over three kilometer by one kilometer stretch which is the size of most reserves in in, in this country bigger than some of them and if you let that happen like we're not going we uh, we're not we're not about evicting people from their homes mm -hmm. and, well, that idea of being peaceful and, and understanding that like the great law of peace is uh we take that wholeheartedly that's our law that's who we, that's how we govern ourselves and so to go and run families out of their homes is not 
is not something that we're it's not something we're about and so to be able to come here peacefully you know unarmed and and uh, set up a camp and use this to you know raise our families and grow and thrive as a community like that's that's our obligation our responsibility to to the land here well thank you for sharing that because that's another thing that i i don't know that you know, a lot of people understand that the whole Haudenosaunee Confederacy is actually based on this great law of peace. It's about peaceful relations. It's about, you know, um, how to interact with one another and the environment and everyone in a peaceful coexisting way. It's not about violence. And um, any time the violence ever happens, it's when someone else brings the guns. It's the police, it's the OPP or the RCMP or the DND. It's, it's, um, it's never us. And, yeah. and, and I think, and I think when you look at that too, so like, I mean, when you read the headlines, some of them are quite, quite wild, right? Like yeah. as to like Antifa too now, you know what I mean? But it's like, so like, it means just even to give more context to like what is going on here. Um, so like it's more of an occupation, right? Like we're not protesting, we're not being loud. There's like no sign saying like, you know, like don't do this, yada yada. Like we are merely being on our land. We're on our land. We're functioning. We're doing. We're living like on our land. We're not like like I mean, we've never blocked any roads. We never barricaded any roads. That has not ever been a goal of ours. Like our driveway is not even blocked, right? I mean, like we do have. Like people that monitor who's coming in and out but mm -hmm. even that it's a, it is very peaceful like we, we're trying to be as just i don't know as peaceful as possible right <laughs> and that, so those are those, those are some of the things right and i know um i don't know what am i trying to say i know that with uh what happened on argyle street um that sort of puts like a different like if people are not understanding the process of things that puts mm -hmm. a different light on it but so even to give context to that so when we were raided here um and and some of the the folks here were arrested what happened on fifth line and the tracks and all those things were a direct reaction to our people being in jail right so it's not like people just mm -hmm. ran we're like oh we're gonna go do this now we're <laughs> Like it wasn't escalated just like for no reason. Like yeah. it was purpose to show discontent with our people um, being in jail. And shot at. And shot at, yes. <laughs> and it was more than one bullet. I know they say they just, they shot one bullet. but that's One not, bullet. Yeah, that's what they cite, one bullet, right? Um, it was a couple more than that. Um, so yeah, just like, I don't think people understand the context and the connection or sort of like, the timeline of how these things work so even so when so when the when our guys were let out of jail again like what we did is we just like peacefully came back onto the land and we resumed where we were because like everything was still where it was when we left right it was only like seven hours so we just came back sat back down in the chairs that were there relit the fire and we've carried on in such a way right so there's there's like it's like even when you look at when we first came in, like so we came in on a Sunday night when there was nobody here because we didn't want to have to talk and confront the workers and kick people off. We just mm -hmm. came in and sat down and that was it, right? We've just kind of been here. So again, like trying to avoid as much confrontation and 
just any kind of hostility, trying to navigate it in the like least harmful ways possible, if that's possible. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just our goal, right? So right at the start, though, on that July 19th, when we came in here that Sunday evening, uh, police came and uh, I had a conversation with them and told them that uh, you can let the developer know that there's not going to be any work tomorrow. And so they, they took that on, on to, uh, to tell a developer that like, they won't be uh, able to come to work today. Yeah. And, and that's the way it's been ever since. So what, what was the trigger for the police to move in and start shooting their yeah, alleged bullets and, or multiple bullets or whatever? They got granted the injunction, right? And I'm sure there's a lot of pressure from the developers to get to get us off the land because again, for you know, for like settler society, that's a lot of money uh, at stake for them, right? So, I mean, like it's not our fault that they didn't do their research properly, but it is what it is. Like, I mean, we can be cognizant of like mm -hmm. sort of like the view from their like the lens they're seeing it from, and I'm you know it's about their money right so and so you getting, right so so you occupied land back lane uh, peacefully you let the police know they go and get an injunction the police move in and you're back occupying the land what do you think happens next are they getting another injunction do you think the opp are getting ready to move back in so in regards to what's going on with the roadblocks, they were granted an injunction for that. And I do believe, so the injunction we did have has now been granted a permanent injunction. So. Hmm. What I mean at the same time, like the, um, it wasn't a deterrent when it was, um, when it was initially given the injunction and as far as I'm concerned anyways, and I can only speak for myself, that that's not going to uh, uh, keep me from uh, keeping to my obligation to our law and uh, our land and my connection to that land. Well, and we all know that injunctions are just another tool of the, you know, all levels of government to deny Aboriginal rights, Indigenous rights, and that even statistically, we know statistically injunctions are skewed against Indigenous peoples. I mean, they've, they've done studies on it to show you're, you're almost always going to lose an injunction when it comes to a claim for Native people. So this particular injunction was granted before we, uh, we even knew that one was happening. The, we were, the, the developer was granted that without uh, without notice mm -hmm. without notice to us yep and then um our our first response date to that injunction was friday the 7th which is a day ago uh three days after the raid and so the when that response date had come uh our focus had kind of uh came away from <laughs> how to answer to the how injunction to, how to respond yeah <laughs> and it became to how do we get our guys out of jail how do we protect yeah. people that are uh now uh blocking roads and, and uh highways and uh, train tracks and so it's really important to understand that like uh we had an opportunity and we're uh, looking to to answer to that at least put a statement forward and and 
and then the cops moved in before to kind of break up that process. So do you, do you expect them to come again and do another round of arrests and that kind of thing? Um, do I expect it? Um, I mean, do you, do you think it's very likely? I think realistically, this point in time, their focus is more on getting the roads open. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, so because there's like kind of a few things at play right now, like because it's not just us anymore okay. in this one spot. There's um, there's different barriers on the roads. So I think realistically for the OPP, their priority right now is getting those roads open. So, I mean, there's always there's always a risk. Right, there's always always a risk, but uh, right now I think, yeah. Sorry. We're 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 kind of lower on the totem pole as they say right now because yeah, again public safety roads because again yeah. we're yeah. we're on the development we're not we're not blocking anything we're not hindering oh, okay. as the developer we're not really getting in anybody's way we're almost out of sight out of mind right because it's yeah. way on outskirts of Caledonia, so yeah again I think I think the roads are. Are the priority for OPP at this time. <laughs> not that we're not on the radar, but <laughs> and so oddly enough, uh, Mark Mark Hill of the chief uh, band council there, band council chief, just just texted me, and that's the first that I've heard from him. Just as we're talking, the came up, the notification came up on my phone, and so and so apparently people are getting. To know what's going on here, and uh, <laughs> go, uh, Mayor Ken Hewitt, met, met the mayor of uh, Haldeman County here, uh, Ken Hewitt, has uh, also reached out to uh, have a conversation. So, well, maybe you know that's going to be the answer. I mean, it's always the answer. You mean say maybe it's when people get together and talk and put the time in, whether it's a year or twenty years. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking so much time. I know you're right in the middle of it and you're doing this interview in a van and I'm sure you're like dying of heat right now. <laughs> and Who knows who's trying to get a hold of you, but I appreciate the update because I want people to hear it from your voices. I don't want it to be spun by the media or what other people are saying on social media. You can hear it right from the people that are on the land and that's so important. Um, I'll make sure to post links to everything that you've mentioned, your Facebook, your emails, um, the GoFundMe pages so that people can support. And thank you um, for, doing, for doing this because what you're doing, I know it directly impacts Six Nation and the Haudenosaunee, but every time our peoples stand up anywhere on Turtle Island to defend or protect our little bit of territory, it actually helps the rest of us too. And we know that you do it at great personal risk to your freedom, to your physical safety, even to your relationships with other people. I mean, you get a lot of flack from this and so your sacrifices don't go unnoticed even if you think they do sometimes. And I'll do whatever I can to help lift your voices and, and help educate the media and um, look for your updates every day. <laughs> Because that means you're all still safe. And if there's ever anything I can do, please, please let me know. And yeah. for all the listeners who are tuning into this Warrior Life podcast, please check out these links. Don't just become aware. Take 
action. There's letter templates. There's lots of things that you can do that don't cost money. But if you do have money, that also helps because legal fees are huge. And share this episode. Until next time, keep living a warrior life. Malalia.